Good morning. It's the Religious Studies Project again. I'm David Robertson. I'm Christopher Carter, and I'm tired, David. I was burning effigies all night long. He's referring, of course, to the religious, or is it secular, ritual of Sawain. Oh, no, I was referring to um, Guy Fawkes Day, which is the, it was on the 5th of November, which is when people and children in the United Kingdom um, revel in burning effigies of an individual who didn't like the government much. That's right. Most people don't realize the religious conflict behind the action, but they like fireworks. Exactly. And, but now you've also just heard the, the, you know, the fact that last night when we're recording was so. And, I'm being unprofessional. Um, yeah. I'm mixing up broadcast date and recording date. It's terrible. I, I threw that right at you. Um, what we're going to throw at you listeners, um, is an interview that, um, Sammy Bishop recorded with Adam Possumai on hyper real religion, digital capitalism and the Pygmalion effect. And this interview, as ever, is brought to you by our wonderful friends at the BASR, Nasser, and IAHR. And we are eternally grateful to them for sponsoring this podcast and letting us bring it to you. And in particular, here's Sammy. Hi, I'm Sammy Bishop here on the last day of Socrow 2017. I'm here with Professor Adam Possumai from Western Sydney University. And today we're going to be covering uh, hyper-real religions. So thank you very much for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure. And hello, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so hyper-real religions are, uh, for example, re- religions such as Jediism, Matrixism. Um, but before we discuss them in some more detail, could you give us some of the cultural context that they've come from? Yes, and um, and here in my work, I discuss how the new religions are created through new social media and the internet. But of course, uh, the, the the changes in society and culture is not just about those new technologies. They're also about some profound changes happening with regards to um, market capitalism. And uh, in my work, I speak in my, in my work, I speak about neoliberalism, in which this has started with since the 1980s with the work, of course, of the politicians Thatcher and Ronald Reagan. But it it, it has moved and adapted itself. Uh, and uh, to use the, the the work of Mitchell Dean, it's a thought collective. In that sense, it adapts itself. It moves around. And today we are facing what can be called digital capitalism. It's a new phase of capitalism. If I can go back to the work of Frederick Jameson, in which he speaks about three phases of capitalism, and the latest that he mentioned in his work in the 1980s was uh, late capitalism. Today, we can argue that we're in the fourth stage, which is digital capitalism. And there are new fortunes that are made in the digital world. There's new inequalities that are made as well. And uh, these new technologies, those social and cultural changes, also affecting religion. And one of this change is allowing people to go on online to mix and match various spiritualities, philosophies, together with popular culture. And today in those new activities, uh, the religious sector is almost a prosumer, a producer and a consumer of culture online. And with uh, Judaism, which I've called a hyper-real religion, which is a type of a similar crow of religion. Hyper-reality makes reference to the work of Jean Baudrillard, and where he speaks about copy of the copy and a similar crow. And here, when you analyze the, the text, 
online or in various other forms of new social media as well, uh, you see that people involved in Judaism construct a type of bricolage or assemblage, pick and choose certain elements from various spiritualities and philosophy, and use this as a source of support to speak about Judaism. But Judaism, in a way, they do, of course, realize that this is a work of fiction, but it makes sense to them. Uh, in, if you go back to the 1980s with the New Age movement, in which uh, people were creating spirituality for themselves by themselves, by picking and choosing certain elements in spiritualities and, and philosophy. In hyper-real religions, you have people who do that as well. They create a spirituality for themselves by themselves, but include popular culture more and more. Mm. So you referred to this as the Pygmalion effect. Yes. Can you explain that in some more detail? Yes, indeed. The, the Pygmalion effect, and here I'm making reference to the, the, the Greek uh, myth, uh, Pygmalion, who was this sculpture who created, um, the, the, the sculpture of a, of a woman whom he fell in love with. Her name was Galathea and wanted that sculpture to come to life. And, uh, Aphrodite, uh, heard, um, him and uh, gave life to this statue and she came to life. And that's the idea with the Pygmalion process. More and more we see the divisions between popular culture and and our everyday life being blurred. And it's not just in religion. You have, for example, the phenomenon of cosplay. People who go on certain festivals or certain events and start to dress as the favorite characters. Uh, such a, on May the 4th, more and more there's some events or comics gone. People dress in various um, costumes. Uh, you have zombie walks. People who will go and disguise themselves as zombies and start marching. Uh, you do have the Quidditch games from the Harry Potter. And some uh, new sports have been created, not just Quidditch games, but also chess boxing, which is from the, the, the comics of Anki Bilal. And um, that, uh, that author created the sport of chess boxing, which is mixing playing chess and boxing. And we are now more competitions happening in real life. So here, and to, to come back again to the work of Frederick Jameson, when Frederick Jameson speaks about late capitalism, and when I speak about digital capitalism, it also affects culture. When Jameson was speaking about late capitalism, he realized that the way it was affecting culture is that it was uh, blurring the distinction between art and popular culture. And our art was getting influenced by popular culture, and popular culture was being influenced by art. And it was speaking about various forces pastiche approach, bricolage, and this intersection between those two fields of uh, creativity. And in digital capitalism, what I'm arguing is that it's popular culture with everyday life, in which we find that everyday life gets inspired by popular culture, and of course, as always, popular culture inspired by everyday life. But we've got this new direction. It's always as it existed, but it's becoming stronger and stronger. And uh, so the Pygmalion process makes reference to this uh, blurring of the boundaries between popular culture and everyday life in this phase of digital capitalism, and some religions are affected, and some religions are created, so Judaism, Matrixism, but there are different variations as well. You do have people who will follow that religion and say that I'm a Judaist, and I'm inspired by the work of uh, the narrative of Star Wars, uh, which is based on various aspects of various philosophies and religions. But some people might say, I'm inspired by Star Wars, but I won't call myself a Jedi. 
So it's not, and or someone will go and 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 and, and read or watch the Da Vinci Code and be inspired by the story there and reflect on their own religion, not necessarily uh, believing the, the the narrative that's been said. But it's about people getting some inspiration, and of course, at different levels of inspiration that you can find when you use popular culture and religion. Mm-hmm. So some of these hyper-real uh, religions, the pop culture that they uh, come from, can contain some quite uh, revolutionary aspects. Um, could you say more about that in relation to their context as well? Yes, one of my questions in my, in my research, uh, studying Judaism, was that Judaism, uh, Judaism, uh, Star Wars is a great narrative as a sort of inspiration for spirituality. But what we often forget is that, in those spiritualities, I mean, is that in Star Wars, there's a fight against the Empire. There are can- there's a counter-hegemonic process. And the whole story is based on that, the rebellion against the Empire. Uh, and what I discovered is that there's not much discussions. I won't necessarily speak about rebellion or revolution, but at least some discussions against the hegemony. So we're in the face of digital capitalism, and um, it creates new inequalities. There's more and more inequalities in our world. Uh, as we said, there's stronger differences between the have and the have-nots. And um, I'm thinking that Star Wars can be a source of narrative to, to, to be counter-hegemonic in that sense, trying to, to see what can be done. But to this day, and in the research I conducted, I haven't found that. And... And here I come back to the work of uh, Gramsci, who was speaking about popular religion, and I quote hyper-real religions to a popular religion. That they can, uh, although he doesn't put all popular religions in the same category, he speaks about certain elements of certain popular religions, that they can be counter-hegemony. They can uh, at least state um, something against the status quo, or act against the status quo, uh, but in this world of the internet, in which we expect a world of multiple possibilities, a world of multiple interpretation, uh, I realized that it's not that multiple. Mm. And uh, that aspect that it could have, I didn't find it. So looking to the future, do you think these hyper-real religions might become more um, more established and more recognized than they are at the moment? Um that depends on how you define established. Uh, because there's a whole debate about uh, these discussions happening on the internet, this discussion of spirituality. Should the hyper-real stay on the internet? Or should a, a temple be created and become more physical in the uh, uh, offline world? Um, I don't know. It might happen. It might not happen. Uh, establish, um, uh, I, it's very fluid. I can be transient. Someone might be interested in that for a few months or even years and then move to something else. Uh, will it grow in giving inspiration to people? Yes. We are born with popular culture straight away. And especially uh, the, the young generation through YouTube now and um, uh, access work of popular culture is so easy. It's not like when I was growing up uh, waiting for certain shows to, to come on television at certain hours. Now you go on the internet or use Netflix and you can access almost everything instantaneously. And more and more, we live through popular culture and we make reference to popular culture. So 
people will still be influenced by popular culture for religion, for sure. And I expect this to grow with the new generations as they influence more and more by popular culture. Will it be established? I'm not able to answer that question. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt the episode, but we just wanted to let you know to remind you about our Patreon link. Uh, the Religious Studies Project has always been free since its inception, uh, but we know that there's a great problem in academia with uh, people not being paid for the work that they're expected to do, particularly early career scholars. And we at the RSP want to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. So you can help if you can spare even one pound a month um, by by going to patreon.com slash projectrs and subscribing. We know that these podcasts are very useful for people who are teaching and people in their learning. So if you can help um, either by subscribing there or by making a one-off donation using the PayPal button on our website, it would be greatly appreciated and will help us keep bringing you this podcast for free and fight against exploitation in academia. But now, back to the episode. Uh, could you tell me some more about the demographics of the people involved in hyper-religion? Hyper -religion, yeah, we, we don't have c concrete data on this, but I expect there will be uh, the, the generation X and Y mainly, although there's some uh, baby boomers involved as well, uh, because we do have um, uh, some hyper-religions that started before the internet, like uh, the Church of All Worlds, which is a neo-pagan group, and uh, they were extremely uh, influenced by the science fiction book by Robert Henley, Stranger in a Strange World. But here, in those hyper-real versions before the internet, there was inspiration from popular culture, but it was more secondary. And what I find is that those that appear after the internet, popular culture became more central. So Judaism from Star Wars, Matrixism from the Matrix. And there wasn't, or even uh, the Church of, to come back to the Church of Our World, they were uh, inspired by Star Trek. But they haven't found a version of Star Trek, although some work has been done on people following Star Trek in a religious way. Uh, so what I find is that um, upper religion started before the internet, and there's still some people involved in the Church of Our World who will be older, of course. But the, the growing trends really started in the beginning of the 21st century especially uh, with the, the development of Web 2.0. And we do have younger generation who are fully immersed in that, are getting older, but we do have young generation coming on board as well and using all the forms of uh, new social media. Mm -hmm. So it's, I don't, I won't say it's uh, generation specific, but there's a larger proportion of generation Y, I would say, my estimates. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And kind of linking on from that, uh, the the freedom that the internet allows, yes. uh, what someone might think that people would begin to create their own uh, texts rather than looking to popular culture. Uh, could you expand on that a little, perhaps? They're on religious texts, or yes, yeah, they're okay. kind of religious resources. Ah, so you do have, and that was already as part of the nineteen eighties, and with the new age, people speaking about what they're interested in, uh, taking taking some uh, bricolage approach or eclectic approach, if I may say. Uh, and by this, I mean uh, people taking a bit somewhere and linking to something else, and uh, this gives meaning to people, and they will be writing on that or speaking about that, and now they're able to to post this online. Mm. And uh, some people will, of course, speak about the interest in the world, the blog, and uh, some of them will mention spirituality, of course, and spirituality inspired by popular culture. So you can, hyper-real religions basically refer, refers to those religions that come out of the, the internet, 
but also the, 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 the Pygmalion process that in which people feel that they can speak about popular culture on the internet as a source of inspiration and not necessarily being a religion as such. Uh, myself, I'm influenced by popular culture sometimes, uh, but it, this is not a religion for me. And a lot of people, as I said, we were brought up with popular culture and sometimes we find some inspiration from certain work of popular culture in a reflection about the world or reflections about the self. And uh, this is a growing trend and some people speak about that quite openly on, on their blogs, for example. Mm. Mm. Uh, where do you see your own research going with this in the future? What are you working on at the moment? Ah, with this, um, so I've got a book uh, coming out in December of this year on the uh, isolation of society and neoliberal post-secularism, in which I speak about uh, religion and digital capitalism. And uh, this uh, work on uh, the Pygmalion uh, process and hyper-real religion is a part of it. I also speak about... Um, the way religious groups now are creating apps on phone, iPhones or iPads and how religion is really moving into new social media and uh, how the new social media is changing our practices. Uh, so there's plenty of apps that you can find, such as a Bible, Bible reading, and uh, we find that some people will attend uh, a church and check that uh, the, the, the religious professional is uh, quoting the Bible accurately. And uh, so people use apps for various reasons in today's everyday life, and there's a change of patterns as well. And it's decided that uh, you you can use uh, your iPhone, it's, you carry with you all the time. And so basically you connect it to digital capitalism, to this online world at all times. If you go back in the 1980s or ni 90s, you had to walk to a computer to do it. Or even if you had a laptop, basically you have to set it up. Now you just walk up, you, you take your iPad, your iPhone, it's instantly. And I speak about those new uh, social and uh, trends that are affecting our everyday life and how it impacts on religion and how religion also impacts on those trends as well. Mm -hmm. What would you say are the main impacts that they have on religion? More and more people are more networked. And uh, instantly they can use a Twitter account or they can put uh, some reflection uh, on their self, on their, on their religion, in those new social media. And uh, it's very instantaneous. So the, the impact, to, to explain the impact, I've, I've adapted the George Ritzer's uh, theory of the magnetization of society. And uh, for, for Ritzer, the magnetization of society is the increase of rationalism. So he was inspired by the work of Max Weber on the rationalization of society and how instrumental rationality has moved from bureaucracies to our everyday life. And uh, with uh, the idea of the magnetization of society that we just get out of the home and uh, we go to a restaurant, we go to a school, and we expose to this rationalization process. Now, this has changed. It has accelerated with those new high technologies, iPhones and iPads. And that's why I speak about the ization of society, in which the rationalization process has increased and is not part, it's on the self. We carry it all the time. And we've got access to new apps in which we can manage our life in a better way. And part of managing our life is for religious people is also how to include being religious in this very hectic world. Um, people are very busy. <laughs> Work is demanding. There's people want to read or see popular culture. 
Some people have children to be driven all around uh, very often. And people are short of time. And those new technologies are basically helping people to rationalize their life and be able to uh, to be more active as a religious person. So I've read research in which showed that some people don't have much time to read the Bible before going to a, church, to a reading group, but they will get the app and check what they have to read very quickly, and so they will be ready. So those new technologies are allowing people to be able to be um, more organized in their life, organized as if we manage ourselves as a small company or a small bureaucracy. But this is all life today in which we try to uh, fit everything in. And those apps are basically allowing people, some of those apps are basically allowing religious people to be able to continue being religious in a more, if I may say, efficient way. And this is why I speak about the isolation of society in which there's been an increase of uh, rationalization and uh, through those new technologies. Great. Okay, I think that's about our time up. So okay, thanks. Yes, thank you very much for spending time with us today. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for that, Sammy. Wonderful to hear another interview recorded at the Sokrel conference. Sammy, I suppose we should we should thank Sokrel you know, as well for we for letting Sammy come and record interviews. And uh, uh, it's great that Sammy is becoming uh, one of our you know quite established interviewers as well as doing a great job on the fundraising. And on that note, get ten patrons, David. Ten. Thank you. You know who you are. Yeah, thank you so much. Seriously, it's uh, making a big difference and it is really important to our vision for the project going forward. Keep it free forever. We do quite want a hundred patrons though, so we're aiming for a hundred, so yeah. yeah. You know. So yeah. If yeah. you haven't, you know, maybe. Come on. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you're earning money, you can afford a pound a month. In other news, October um, 2017 just passed was officially the uh, busiest month yet on the RSP website. Yay, go us. Exactly. And that was despite a couple of dodgy days and the website was down as well. Yeah. And, um, you know, that happens to everybody. We're working on it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so thanks for, you know, thanks for listening. I'm getting ahead of myself there, but uh, it, we, we really do mean it, actually. It's still surprising to me um, that the success we've had and it's continuing to grow little by little but every day i mean what are we up to on on social media subscriptions these days mm, facebook's coming up to maybe four thousand seven hundred now so we're almost at that again arbitrary, arbitrary but awesome number, yeah at round five thousand so keep following and thanks to ray for the work that he's doing there um, we're wittering on a bit here. We should just say come back next week for the third installment in our NGOs series. And it's on Muslim NGOs and the future of democratic space in Myanmar. And that's an interview with Melissa Crouch. So looking forward to that. Very much so. Um, I don't think we've got anything else to say at this point. Except know. to rewind and say that thing that you yeah, said yeah, again. Yeah, thanks earlier. for listening, which I said earlier on. So just, you know, we'll just edit that. 
The Religious Studies Project is sponsored by the British Association for the Study of Religions, the North American Association for the Study of Religion, and the International Association for the History of Religions. Brought to you by Founders and Editors-in-Chief Chris Cotter and David Robertson, and Managing Editor Thomas J. Coleman III. Our features are edited by Jonathan Tuckett, and our opportunities digest by Yana Shirley. Podcast transcription by Helen Bradstock, with audio assistance from Gregory Schneider and Samuel Ward. Social media managed by Ray Radford, and sales and marketing by Sammy Bishop. Don't forget, you can support the project using our Amazon.com.co.uk and .ca links, or by donating at patreoncom projectrs And you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Google Plus, YouTube, iTunes, and other portals.